the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Hope your holiday weekend is going well. We wanted to check in uh, with uh, some extended mailbag questions that we haven't been able to get to. One of the mailbag questions from uh, Friday, as you heard, was like, how many questions are in the mailbag? Tons. And we love it. We want you to continue uh, dropping them. Five-star review. Leave your question. Uh, We will get it flagged. We will get it pulled. And we will add it to a future mailbag episode. We've also had some uh, interesting conversations that we wanted to bring to the podcast that have been developing on Twitter. Remember, you can follow Bud at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow Danny at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. And I think that we have to begin. I mean, we have to begin with Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush not only wants his Heisman back, he wants to be reinstated as as the Heisman Trophy winner, not as a, a vacated, but also... Some of the wins for USC, some of the statistics for one of the best all-purpose players of my lifetime. Um, And Danny, you don't want it. No, I don't want it. Actually, with the Heisman Trophy, I don't have a problem. They're their own entity. They can do whatever they want. The Heisman Trust, if they give it back, go ahead. But the NCAA... Like in the thing that's interesting is this issue is being conflated because name, image, and likeness gets approved... And everyone's like, oh, give Reggie Bush his highs or, you know, all his stuff back. None of his things were name, image, and likeness related. They were still pay for, they were impermissible benefits, which still, if he did it today, would still be illegal. So like they still would have been punishable. And yet we're like, ah, so what? Like, let's give him it back. Like, so what if he broke the rules? So what if it gave him an absolute advantage to be playing on a team that had been buying players for who knows how long? Like at what point we have rules in place in our society for a reason. If you break those rules, there are consequences. He knew that he took on that risk. He got busted. They took it away. If they change their mind, so be it, but they are under no obligation to do so in my opinion. So when they eventually change the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so camera. you think they will to that as well? Yes, of course. Let's just, we could even go as far to say, let's say it was name, image, and likeness. The fact that it was a rule then, he still knew the rules and blatantly broke them. And he had, he was punished for them by the NCAA. He still broke rules. Even if you think the rules are stupid, which I do, he still broke the rules that were in place. Sure. But I think he using the word punishment is, is, is apt here. Um, when you think about people who have been punished under laws, which were at the time, you know, pretty unjust, right? Think about some of the things like the Civil Rights Act tried to help. Eventually, those people often uh, were pardoned, especially if what they did, you know, really wasn't immoral. It was, you know, sort of a, a law reflecting many of society's ills at the time. I don't know who was really injured by Reggie Bush's parents, you know, taking a house from an agent. Clearly, he found a way to get compensated for his market value, which the NCAA was artificially trying to depress via their rules so the schools could keep all their money. Um, but like, I don't necessarily agree that he should get his Heisman back immediately. You know, um, What he took was, it is tangentially related to name, image, and likeness, because, but it's also not, right? Like he took money where the family did from an agent and, and took the car, or excuse me, the, the, not the car, excuse me, the house. I, I get that. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm not always like, I think you do need to look into the merit of the rule, especially if now the rules are being changed. 
I think the NCAA's own indifference to its own rules and how much they've just laid down and just been barreled over by this to fight tooth and nail. And then in the last, what, I guess in the last month, we've seen a 9-0 decision in the Supreme Court. We've seen them basically quit and say, I don't know, whatever, y'all go figure it out. I mean, it is the... Um, it is the substitute teacher who realizes they have no power and is just going to let the kids run loose for the rest of the period. Like they're just like, whatever. And so the toothless sort of approach there from the NCAA has me not wanting to stand up and like defend, uh, the authenticity of NCAA statistics because my book, my argument with Reggie Bush's Heisman was I saw him, he was the best, he was the most outstanding player in college football. He's the Heisman Trophy winner in my eyes. Like you can't, you can't just all of a sudden say that like those wins didn't happen, those performances didn't happen. They were some of my favorite memories of watching college football. So I'm, I'm a little bit less like I'm not holding on to uh, the idea that he should not be reinstated in the record books or the wins reinstated for USC. All right, so I'm kind of losing my mind here, and it's probably because I've been getting just pelted with Twitter like just replies and just like it's never ending, like just insults coming my way, but I'm losing my mind a little bit here because this really is a moral argument. And what Bud just said, well, was he hurting anybody? And no, physically he wasn't harming anybody, but do you think it was harmful to the teams that were trying to do it right, that were playing by the rules? Cause that was a lot of people like, and I was one of them. But that assumes that there are teams that were yeah. seriously not taking money. And we know, Absolutely. I mean, Danny, like come me, on. Like, you think, like me, you think I Florida didn't State wasn't paying guys? I don't know. I never saw a player paid. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But I absolutely think there are players and schools that were trying to do it the right way. And you can't assume that all of them were. I don't like, think I any of the schools that were trying to compete for a national that we title. Can't think that rules that were in place, that some people followed them. It was not 100%. Teams were trying to do it right. Do you, think any about, team, do you think any team that was seriously trying to compete for a national title was trying to do it right? Because I don't. Uh, yeah, I think there were some. You think there's legitimately a team that was a serious national title contender in 2005 that didn't have at least one player who was bought and paid for? Uh, I, but I think there's a difference there, too. There's some nuance to this. Was it orchestrated by the school or was it boosters under the table that were cash payments and the school might have been trying to do it right? Like the whole – I don't think college football – is anywhere as corrupt as college basketball with the pay-for-play under-the-table pipe payments. I think college football is way more above board than college basketball. So I would argue, yes, there were teams that were trying, but why does it matter that if they were just competing for the national title? How do we know that teams may have had an opportunity to compete for a national title if they were just skirting the rules like everybody else? Like, that's who that impacted then. Because the very best recruits who those teams get have actual market value. And thus, you have to induce them to come to your school sometimes. But not if they're all paying attention to the rules. Like, I was, I was, I was the number one passing quarterback coming out of high school. Like, I, I wasn't induced because I, I didn't want to get in trouble. So I followed the rules. Although I could have – I don't know if there were many places I could have gone with better talent. But I could have gone different schools that might have surrounded me with talent that was all paid. Is the Reggie like, Bush case the one that's driving you crazy? Like, are there- No, it's all – so, like, when Jay Billis says – all everyone who was breaking the rules, like he called out the fab five others who have had titles stripped, all of this, it just should all be forgotten. I take issue with that because in all of those circumstances, there were people that were paying attention to the rules and trying to follow them to what extent, to what percentage we probably will never know. But at some point rules are in place for a reason to be followed. And if you don't, there are consequences to them. So you have to deal with it. Okay. Even if the rule is stupid, which we all can agree, there are still rules. So for the Reggie Bush case specifically, and I am asking a question, I remember it being more agent related than university related. Right? Yeah. Yes. There were, there was a house set up by an agent who actually had to sue because he didn't, 
he didn't pay him back like the it was the Tunzel thing that basically. he let him borrow. There was like a deal in place there. Yes. Because but then to all of this, like it doesn't even matter to me if it was by the school or not. It's just the fact that mm. maybe it was all you know, there were several players that were cheating. They Be- clearly were. Because if you're talking about the, you know, some places are trying to do it right. Why, you know, that is it. You're, you're suggesting the competitive advantage is worth the punishment, right? The competitive advantage yes. that is established. And yes. I don't think that modern college football programs can, I don't think it's possible for them to be able to totally limit the kind of contact that's happening between agents and players with NFL potential. And if gifts are given with gifts are given and with impermissible benefits provided like that is, there are not enough people within a college football uh, office to be able to be aware of all of those things but, which is where we are now, which is why they're just saying, well, forget it. Well, we just won't even try to enforce it. We're going to open this up so that we can have all these types of things, which is fine. That's great. Moving forward, there won't be any repercussions for it. But at some point, it like, what's the next rule that's going to be broken? Like if you cheat on that, I'm trying to think of a, a good analogy because there are some out there, but there has to be consequences out there to rules or else we're living in a lawless society. And you can disagree with the rules as much as you may like, but there he got busted. Like he was... There was, like he said, I didn't cheat the game. And I would argue he did. Not on the field, you know. But like, what if the Astros, let's say baseball changed their rules and they were like, you know what? We're just going to let everybody, electronics, you know, go ahead and do what you want. You think the Astros should be given their title back? You think all those uh, punishments should be deleted? Well, they didn't lose their title. Did they not lose their title? No, they didn't. It ha- Does it have an asterisk? Nothing? No. No mm. asterisk, no nothing. There and the reason is because base- baseball One knows everybody GM was kind of doing fired, it. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. People uh, lost their jobs. Yeah, yeah. People lost their jobs for sure. But that was the extent of like the fallout. I don't recognize the Astros title, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but for instance, like for the for the GM, what the heck was his name? Well, he's kind of an idiot. He's a tough person to defend because he's beyond just, the, uh, just yeah. the, uh, the that scandal. But like if they changed it, like there's still a blemish on that title because they were clearly cheating, even though you might be someone who says, you know what, they should be allowed to use electronics to steal signs. The other thing, as far as as far as like acquiring the talent, and is there actually any reason to believe that USC with the Bush thing, that really wasn't an inducement to come to school? Like an agent didn't set up Reggie with the house to go to USC. It was after he was already there. So I, I have a little bit of a hard time believing that USC was more talented because Reggie Bush his, his parents got a house as a sophomore, unless there's actual proof, which I've not seen that says, Hey, like if you come to USC, we'll have an agent hook you up with the house. Right. So like, I get the the idea that maybe it could have helped guys not transfer out, you know, if they're being taken care of. Although I definitely don't think the agent was, was dropping houses on, you know, on, on everybody. At least that's not what the evidence shows. I, I, I get your point, Danny. Like I, I, I do. And I think that, I don't know that it's that big of a competitive advantage if an agent is doing it like, like, like Reggie did. And I think also, if you look at the people who were on that committee, you know, like, like Paul D who, who's I believe now deceased, right. The, the former Miami guy, there's a lot of people who work in NCAA or especially in compliance. will tell you that was just the, the punishments that got handed down to USC were draconian and not at all in line with what other people who had done similar things got, you know, there was very little link to actually USC doing this and it was all like okay you had a player take money from an agent like Bobby Bowden wasn't wasn't doing the footlocker thing you know what I mean yeah. it's a it's a third party hooking them up after hours you can't possibly be which by the way that's a total name image and like this thing nowadays here say you yes. love footlocker get some shoes right like there's nothing you know super immoral about that except technically if, if footlocker wasn't in on it then you know I guess that's stealing uh but <laughs> you know it's I do think the USC punishment, even with the rules that were in place, was pretty unjust and not in line with what other programs got at the time if they did similar things. I understand your lawless society thing. Like, I want to be able to give you the, like, I understand what you're saying in terms of like, we can't, like societally, we can't just all of a sudden throw everything out the window. I understand where you're coming from there. I, I, like Bud was saying, I'm falling short on the Reggie Bush case specifically being like a competitive advantage situation. 
Agree to disagree. Okay. Well, let us know in the comments of, on, on Apple Podcasts. Okay. Yes, exactly. But still leave five stars. You can tread me if you want. Just leave five stars in there on the comments. It is so I it is so here's the other thing that's kind of irritated me. Then it becomes like the cool kids thing to do to like say, give Reggie back his Heisman. It's very trendy to say that. And Reggie said he reached out to the Heisman Trust. All these former Heisman trophy winners, Desmond Howard, Matt Leinart, Johnny Manziel. These guys who are like, yeah, give him back his Heisman. All it would take for them is to say, I'm going to disassociate myself with the Heisman trust until Reggie Bush is reinstated and his is given back and he would get it back within 24 hours. Like, but it's cooler and it's easier to gain clout by saying, give him back his Heisman trophy where I don't know. I think they have way more power than they think. I think some of that's also uh, Reggie. I'm trying to think like, was there, it's he's hard. He's a great dude. And that's the thing. And I he's on TV all the out. time. It was USC, yes. Los Angeles. Yes. Like he's, because, think, because it's him. I think that adds yes. to it being cool. And he's a great, he's a great dude. I want to make sure like, this is not me saying he's a bad person. A lot of people skirted the rules as we were talking about. A lot of players were taking payment under the table, but you still have to honor the system that was in place at the time as messed up and as stupid as it was. Do you think on the, the high, former Heisman Trophy winners. Do you? I, I feel like there would be some on there who would say that would agree with me. They're like, yep, we, we hold a high standard, even though OJ still has his, which is kind of messed <laughs> up. Like, that's the hypocrisy in all this. But there, I, I, I would be willing to bet there are a significant number of former, former Heisman Trophy winners who are probably older, it's probably an age delineation, who are like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think we should give it back to them. Or do you think it's all? Because if it's all of them, they could easily get this overturned. I don't think it's all. I right. think there is a wide, capital W, wide range of ideological, political, yeah. social sort of viewpoints when you gather all those Heisman winners together uh, for the ceremony in non-COVID years, of course. Uh, since we're all worked up. Uh, oh, got- can I ask Danny something real quick? Oh, yeah. All right. Not that we're implying that they got the car through illicit means who on your team stands out in your mind as having like the nicest car that a college kid had. See, this is where the limitations is run on this pretty sure. So this is where, Oh, I would tell you anything. This is where I don't think it was as bad when I was there. Now the basketball program, this always kind of ticked me off. Bob Sura had a really nice ride. Bobby Sura, who never saw a shot that he didn't like, had a really nice ride. Pat what, Kennedy, what did he have? the coach at the time, I believe he had a red Corvette, which was pretty okay. nice. Like, yeah. that was pretty sweet. Um, I did, like, so Marvin Jones was the best defensive player in the country. Yeah. Coming, like, bar, like, he was like Marvin Jones, cover of every magazine. He had, he was from Miami, didn't come from a lot. He drove like the biggest beat up hoopty that barely ran, but it like had a system in it that was kind of, you could hear him coming. It was not a nice car. We had a lot of guys that were like that, that could have been getting paid and either they were smart enough to say, you know what, I'm going to wait, or they didn't get it while they, they were following the rules that were in place. Now, the time when the nice car started, started rolling in, I would say, from memory would have been December or definitely right after the bowl game. But like December after the regular season was over, they started getting ready for the NFL draft. Then you'd start seeing new rides come in of the players who were leaving. Guys then getting that advance the on the agent that money. That yeah. Yes, the advance yeah. from the agent's money. But I did not, there wasn't, I was kind of disappointed to be honest with you. I thought there would have been more because I would have loved to have seen some of it, more money under the table coming the players' ways. So Danny artificially depressed the market because he was the top quarterback recruit and he didn't take anything. So nobody, <laughs> you know, so so all the boosters were like, well, if we didn't have to grease Canal, then then you know, <laughs> that's we, right. Oh man. All right. Oh gosh. My this is a, a question from Jake. My question is, what are your CFB pet peeves? Obviously, there are some easy ones like the ESPN college football playoff commercials and debates, but what narratives or beliefs in college football absolutely drive you crazy? Bud's biggest pet peeve is probably, quote, stars don't matter. Danny's is probably Tennessee fans bragging about SEC dominance. Would love to listen to y'all's perspectives. Go Vols, Jake. College football pet peeves. Four and a half hour, four and a half hour games. No, I I just, I don't like the overtime rule because I feel like 
we play a now it's not quite as bad as baseball putting the runner on second but like so you play an entire 60 minute game right and then if you're like a wide open team or a team that really relies on speed they're gonna tell you hey guess what doesn't matter we're just gonna put you down here in the red zone where where size and, and banging you know an ability to jump matters a little bit more there's a lot less area to operate and you basically have a field goal in your back pocket no matter what I don't like the and now it's like hey let's go to a two point conversion after what two overtimes and when we go like, I get it but I think it, it, we would show it'd be more fair to different types of teams that have different varieties of skill and attacking styles if we went and we started at the forty so you actually probably had to get a first down to get a field goal and if you wanted to take a deep shot and hit it and actually play with some space down the field you'd have the chance to do so like that's that's one of mine that I really don't like. Um, by the way, I would agree with the question that my biggest pet peeve is SEC fans jumping on the bandwagon of Alabama or LSU. And almost every time it is a Tennessee, a Kentucky, occasionally get a Vanderbilt fans, but they don't care that much about football anyway. (laughs) But until now, love you, Barton. Now Now that Barton's there. Danny, have you seen the cartoon? No, which one? So it it shows like the huge dog and, and it's labeled SEC. And then it's like South Carolina fan or like other fan, um, Maybe the huge dog is Bama, uh, and and the, the little dog and the little dog says, "Isn't the SEC great, Spike?" Yeah. <laughs> <They're just> like, <laughs> that is one hundred percent accurate yeah. too. Um, I would say the the overtime one is great, I, but you would, Bud, you would agree it's much better than the NFL overtime, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Although okay, I, so I, I I like the NFL's change going from like if you only kick a field goal, the other team at least gets a chance to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I also I would think agree, like, though moving it back is the perfect solution. If they're worried about like like length of game and number of plays, I think this would be shorter because you, teams would get some stops and then just you know get a first down, get a field goal to win it. Or like I don't think you'd ha- you, how many multiple overtime games do you think we would go to with this format? I bet you would be less. My biggest pet peeve now it's you guys tell me if you notice it less because I think it's gone a little bit away. Hope I'm right on this, but the double cadence at the line of scrimmage. When you'd get the quarterback go up there and he'd go, you know, he'd say his red 18, red 18, set hut, or he'd give you the clap and then nobody does anything. Quarterback looks over mm. and then the coach like calls the play for him according to the defense. And when I was calling games, it used to really like drag out. And there was this awkward silence for like 10 seconds as they're getting it in. And it just got to be repetitive where I felt like it was slowing the game down. But I think that's gone away a little bit more. Do you guys notice like it was almost every team was doing it. Now it feels like it's gone away somewhat. Do you guys see that trend too? There's some. I, I think it's partially because of some of the RPO stuff where like every play has three checks in it now. Right. And they actually have to know the checks at the line of scrimmage or they're built into the play themselves. Right. Right. So once the play starts, then they adjust to it. Because that one was for me. But I understood it because it's tough to put that on the quarterbacks. But to me, it was like the ultimate ultimate offensive coordinator or head coach, whoever's calling the plays, like power – like this is my I, I don't trust you enough to handle this. Yeah. Which in some cases was probably true because you only have so much time in a week to study it, but it just got to be really annoying. That was a pet peeve of mine for a while. I gotta tell you, it is worse with some of these seven on coaches, and it drives me nuts because at least in college football, like you're trying to win. It's not all about development. In seven on, it should be about development and exposure. Like I get you want to win the game, but like what are we here for? So that, that you seven on coach can host a trophy or so your kids can get noticed, get written up, develop their skills, you know, take it back to the high school or college field, become better players. And like, there's some coaches who come down. I was just at IMG. They're literally telling him which route to look out for and tell him when to throw. He's like, all right, glance is coming open right now. Boom. And I'm like that. The quarterback is at that point, just a puppet like that. That's crazy. When I see that, if we had like the microphones and helmet throughout the entire play, oh, it'd be a disaster. Good luck trying to play with the voice in your ear. (laughs) I judge coaches who do that, Danny. Like I, I, and probably the quarterbacks too. I get in in an unfair way to the quarterback and maybe even to the coach, but those coaches that, because I think it is probably happening less and RPO is a very good suggestion as to why with the tags already built in and everything happening after the snap, but the, the, the coach who's like 
what, five yard, like probably could yeah. get a flag thrown on him for, you know, break getting off the sideline and he's on there and he's like pointing exactly to the linebackers and the safeties and, and putting in the switch. Yeah. I, I do big time judgment on those coaches who, uh, yeah, it does seem like a little bit of a control and it seems like they want a joystick quarterback. Like they don't want a quarterback. They want a game control in their hand to be able to, to make the play and throw which way they want to go. I, I said long games, but the, if there's a narrative that uh, is a pet peeve of mine, hmm, I think a lot of the conference strength narratives are starting to are starting to wear on me a little bit. Just because the, everything has to be cyclical, we can't have the same we can't have the same narrative from 2012 still be going on in 2022. Like you can have programs and you can have you know the changing of the guard and the ups and the downs, but I'm. I, th- I think that when we do a top 25 at CBS Sports and we break it down by conference, I, I don't think that's an accurate representation of all of college football. Or when we do like a college football playoff rankings and they're like five SEC teams in low, you know, and you do that conference scoreboard. I mean, heck, let's, let's even throw bowl games on top of that. I would say, yeah, that's what the pet peeve is. The conference scoreboard for things like the bowl games, the non-conference games, and how many teams you have in the top 25, because I don't, I don't think it's always representative of the, the general health or strength of your entire conference. I got, I got one more narrative for you. Again, direct five-star, five-star review. Go ahead and shred the take if you want. And thankfully, although I, I'm, I'm worried this doesn't go away, players are exploited. Like that whole, like the massive exploitation of players money off the backs of the players for free labor. Yes, there is a percentage, very, very small percentage, who now will not be exploited anymore. We cannot say this anymore because they will be able to make money. But that narrative has, and it always will, and it will continue to go on, drives me nuts. So do you get upset when somebody says the health and safety of college football players is a civil rights issue? Does that make you upset? No, not that. Cause I think the players, I think the health and safety is one area where I do think we could, but the whole, and it's very, cause they've been underserved. I, say, I, I believe that in general, college football players have been underserved from uh, universities and coaches in comparison to the financial benefit that universities and coaches get. I don't think it's as the disparities as bad okay. as you, as people make it out to be okay. for the average player who's out there you know, who's not a starting quarterback, who's a backup tight end. I think that player is probably overcompensated for what they bring to the program as far as money and the, the fame and or the, the, the bottom line number that comes there. I don't think it's as big. I, and, I, and it's for the non-revenue sports. Like, I'll give you one. So I would say a backup tight end who was on full, you know, full scholarship for, you know, four to five years, Maybe he's not an NFL player. If he is smart with his money, with the stipends that are in place, you could leave with your degree, multiple degrees, if you take advantage of it. You could leave with, I would say on the low side, twenty dollars to $25,000 in cash with your stipend. If you were relatively smart with your money, save some of it, didn't spend it you know, recklessly, I'd say that's a pretty good deal especially considering the money you would make if you tried to do this elsewhere, like a minor league setup, a minor league atmosphere. Do you know what is the real cash cow from my, my experience of uh, being friends with some athletes? It is stacking your per diems on a college world series trip where if you keep winning, (laughs) you continue to get per diems and most of the meals and every, if you're smart about it, you know, everything's all there provided. All you can eat. And I remember the text messages when the baseball team was on the way back, all with fat pockets of per diems. Like, yeah, it stinks we didn't win, but uh, we'll be back in town uh, on Tuesday. So uh, you know what's going down. <laughs> Don't you think, though, that like as much as I want that narrative to go away, I think it's just getting started. Cause I don't think the NIL money will be enough. Like, I don't think it's going to be as big as people make it out to be. And I think the next step is they need to share the revenues. Like all, all of the revenues. 
yeah, people I think weren't that's saying that as much when, when you didn't have, you know, programs trying to spend, spend, spend to make it appear like they're not making any money to build a hundred million dollar facilities. And then you have 10 and $12 million coaching staffs now, like we mm-hmm. have, like that narrative has grown as the coaching salaries have grown, you know, kind of out of control. And let's be honest, it, like a lot of these coaches will, will tell you, Oh, if they paid the players, I'll just jump to the NFL. I'm like, Good luck. Like you're in college coaching because you're a good recruiter, not because you're some amazing, you know, scheme guy or, or technique guy, or you could relate to pros as well. Um, I, I agree with Danny on this partially, by the way, I think that for probably the bottom half of most of these rosters, college, if you put aside like the potential long-term concussion stuff, which I don't want to get into today, if you put that aside, I think college is actually a pretty good deal. I think the violence of the game makes it tough for me to just totally put it aside, but I understand for the purposes of the discussion, which is why I wanted to focus my point on health and safety. Right. No, I, I chip, I I totally agree with you on that. Um, For like the next, let's say 25% of the roster, it's probably, you know, like they probably should get something like they're really contributing to the upper half of the product. They're likely starting, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're bringing in a product, which is enough to pay the head coach six and $7 million at a lot of schools now and million-dollar coordinators and pretty much every position coach at one of these title contenders makes half a million at least. And then for like the top 5% or so of the roster, it's a terrible deal. Like those are the guys who really do get screwed, and those are the guys who will get compensated more through name, image, and likeness. But I agree with Danny that it won't totally stop with image and likeness because that's sort of making their money on things that are not related to the sport, at least not directly related. And I think there will be a call for them to be compensated by the schools a little bit. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the coaches are going to make less. They're just probably going to get a little bit less percentage of the pie as revenues continue to grow. You know, I don't think we're all of a sudden going to see every head coach making 10 million. If you're having to start, maybe give, you know, 30,000 to a player or something like that. But for the most part, like I think the college is a pretty good deal. I really do. It's just the, the top half and especially like the top 5% of your roster, they're grossly underpaid compared to what their open market value would be. Top three percent. Hey, listen, I just can't 3%. wait. Hey, do we get Danny to say that any percent of the roster is underpaid? I, look at this. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think that the uh, the headline, you know, it's it, when this uh, hits the feed of all of our listeners, it's just going to say, uh, are college athletes exploited? <laughs> <laughs> Happy holiday weekend. Yes. Coming up on the other side, what happens when some of these high-profile transfers land at a new school and their old school is on the upcoming schedule, what kind of dirty secrets can be revealed? Are there any real competitive advantage? Or are we making a little bit too much out of that? We'll dive into that and more next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So this question is from Lizzie. Hey guys, love the pod. Not many great college football podcasts out there. Thanks for keeping it engaging and interesting. The whole crew is great. RIP Barton though. Mailbag question. I'm a big Clemson Tiger fan. And so of course I've been following the DK to Georgia, not our DK. That's Darian Kendrick. The Darian Kendrick to Georgia storyline pretty tight. My worry is that Darian Kendrick will be able to give insight to Georgia on Clemson's offensive scheme, giving them a huge leg up when players transfer and play against their former team. Is there precedent for players spilling the beans on all the dirty secrets, or is there an unwritten rule about keeping it to themselves? Would love to hear how this works or how this has worked in the past. Thanks. The precedent that we've seen would be coaches leaving to schools who I would be 
far more concerned about because of their depth of knowledge of the system. Um, and that's not a knock against Darion Kendrick. That's, an, that's just a... How many years have you been in this game? Exactly. Yeah. And you do see this happen. I mean, I, a member of the Patriots famously and a lot of teams in the NFL would sign a player who was just released and either keep him for a week or two and then cut him because they try to, you know, there was this unpacking of information supposedly. I think it's far, like, I think that storyline is way overplayed. I don't think the advantage is that significant. Signals somewhat, some terminology, if you heard things, especially if you're running no huddle and you're talking a lot. If Darion Kendrick was, you know, in practice and hearing a lot of things from the Clemson offense, possibly he could give some of that. But I think Clemson's probably going to make an adjustment or two on those, which they should do anyway year to year just to make sure teams aren't listening because they played the same teams every year. So I don't think it'll be that bad. I wouldn't be worried about if you're a Clemson fan, like the the information unload or download that's going to happen and it'd be an advantage for Georgia. Yeah, I completely a non-concern for any staffs I've talked to. Um, you know, when when FSU had a couple guys transfer to NC State, are you worried about that? They're like, not at all. Like, I guarantee you NC State's coaches know, know way more about us because they watched our tape, they understand what we run, than these guys do. These guys, like, know potentially more about their specific position. But they also, in many cases, like, was DK there for, for spring ball? No, I don't think so. Right. So like no. he, he wasn't there for spring. He doesn't know what they've changed. Hell, given the, the accusations about Clemson sign stealing, and I think they're great at it. Like they probably change up their signals because Georgia's got a hell of a staff too. Right. Uh, to, you know, to, to pick stuff if they, if they wanted to try to do so. I just don't think it's that big of a deal with the NFL. The players are generally, I think, smarter. They're more experienced. And I agree with Danny. Like you could, if you sign maybe a DB, you, you could say like, Hey, on film, we see this. What's the actual cover? Like, what's the coverage rule when you, when you have you know three to the boundary and, and you get this, this, and this? Like, how do you guys assign that if you're in this? How do you guys assign that if you're in that? Because they're trying to literally find, like, basically the the, the coverage breaker, if you will, or the coverage beater rather, uh, to to beat that specific thing. In college, like, I just don't think these guys know that much scheme. That's why when they get to the NFL, there's a big learning curve in many cases. You may know your position well. You probably don't know what everybody else on defense is doing. Is that the difference between teaching plays and teaching concepts? Like the I, like I hear coaches talk a lot about. It's like I don't want you to just know what the play is. I want you to know why we run it. Like I want you to know why these these checks are in. Like being able to take it to that next level. Is that what happens that's when pretty you go? advanced stuff? I think that's 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 pro to me is. That's to me one of the biggest differences in college and the pro is the why. Now there will be some players who are hungry for information, who are smart players who are probably going to be playing in the NFL because they're seeking that information. You know, and they have tests. I mean, every team has a test they take before the game, and I think different schools may require you to find different positions and see what other people are doing. But I do think that's a big difference between the college game and NFL. I also, the only thing I could think of uh, for Darian Kendrick, where he would be able to give an advantage or a similar situation like this, it just has to be a very specific personnel thing where he just knows from going against this wide receiver, you know, this, this one thing that might not be picked up on tape, but has only been picked up over reps. But even then, I don't think that makes, with all of the other factors that we've discussed here, I don't think that's something to be concerned about at all. But he's he's got to know at least from practicing against dudes like it might small tendencies. As, it might be something as simple as hey, you can get in this guy's head. You know, if, sure. you, if you talk a little, or you could get a response. You could get a, a fifteen yard unsportsmanlike if you say certain. You know, if you get after him, he's a hothead. Something like that. Um, there, I'm sure there will be. If these are linemen, talk. it's like jab yeah. him in the chest right after the snap. It'll you know throw him off his game or something like that. Little weaknesses, yeah. I guess. All right, speaking of the transfer portal, love the show. You guys are the best part of my commute. Two questions. Bud mentioned there's a lot of players in, quote, transfer portal purgatory. Are there camps or programs for the guys looking to catch on somewhere and maybe don't have a lot of film or data? Second, with Barton gone, who's going to pick up the oat milk and vodka mantle on the recap shows? Thank you, Ken, by the way, from the for the question. Well, well Danny doesn't do the, the – uh, you don't do the recap shows, right? No, but I'll try the oat milk do you and vodka. Drink? I'll, I'll do it in, in memoriam. 
<laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll try it. Um, we should get sponsored by somebody. Like, like uh, can you imagine if we just jumped on here and we all had sponsored, you know, sponsorships by like your favorite beer company or hell, like if, uh, like if Knob Creek wants to sponsor us or like uh, Chip, are you a bourbon guy? Denny, you a bourbon guy? Give me Casamigos. I'll get a Casamigos. Okay. Tequila. Yeah, I'm, I'm down that. for tequila. It'll save us a lot of money too, at least in this household. Yeah, I'll do- That's uh, not cheap. I'll, do, I'll, I'll go tequila or whiskey probably before I'm jumping in. I, I did the oat milk vodka on- I think New Year's Eve last year or Christmas Eve, like sometime during the holiday and, you know, sending Barton a picture like, all right, finally you brought, you wore me down and man, I just, it's, it's, it's heavy, you know, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of dairy in that a uh, little bit more than I was used to, but I enjoyed it for the festive occasion. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's like eggnog, right? You, you're going to have it because it's there, but you're not going to be having it every single Saturday from September to December. I don't need that much oat milk vodka in my life. Especially not if you live in Florida. Like I like there there is very rarely a time like I want some eggnog here to go with my ninety eight degrees. It's like the anchorman scene with Will Ferrell. The milk's a bad the milk. choice. A bad choice. <laughs> uh, all right, so transfer portal purgatory. So the you know July one, by the way, you know, the deadline has passed in terms of trying to get into the transfer portal and be eligible for this fall. There are more, the numbers are insane. And the questions are whether or not there are going to be enough places for all these players. My guess would be no. Um, you know, what are going to be some of the options for some of these guys in transfer portal purgatory? Mm. Well, I don't think there's going to be a lot of sympathy for them. No. Do you, do you bud? I, I just think there's going I to be not. a... Not in I don't general. know if there's going to be, and this is the unfortunate downside of this you know movement this shift in philosophy to free agency now and bud correct me if i'm wrong but isn't half of these are walk-ons or something like that there's a massive number of these that are entered the portal that are walk-ons so, so there there are walk-ons on both sides right like they're not really required to report who is a walk like who was a walk-on entering the portal and I also know just from talking to people behind the scenes, some of these kids who were scholarship players at P5 schools are walking on at other schools as opposed to dropping down to FCS or D2 because they kind of want to save face and not admit that they made a decision that, you know, wait a second, like I'm not as good as I thought I was. I I think this is going to be in general, first of all, to the question, I'm not aware of many options. I don't think you can go to a prep school. You could go JUCO one year if you wanted to, but like JUCO spots are going to be difficult to find now uh, because of honestly, like COVID has created such a scholarship crunch because they're trying to get back down to the 85. Like they did the right thing on the front end by giving everybody a, a free year, but they're not following through and doing the right thing on the back end by honoring all those scholarships and allowing you to carry those COVID guys when they get their extra senior year without penalty, which I think they should do, but there's no way a lot of these schools are going to vote, vote do that. Cause then you got to give the scholarships to volleyball and all the other sports that don't make any money for you uh, because of title nine. So I think we're going to have a natural market solution here. This is the beauty of America, right? Like this is going to be a market-based solution. And what it's going to be is there's going to be enough dudes from your hometown as a player or recruit who you, you talk to, or you've heard of, or your high school coach heard of said, wait, he was a four-star coming out. He was sitting the bench at, you know, whatever school he thought he could hit the open market. He didn't have a destination ready to go. And he found out, wait a second, man, like feedback in your school ain't great. You know, you, you slapped the water bottle out, out of the water girl's hand after a win. Cause you didn't get enough playing time. We don't like the attitude. You really didn't get anywhere to land. Um, I think there's gonna be enough kind of cautionary tales to where give it three, four years. There will be fewer guys who jump in the portal. There will be more guys. I do think who realize that their situation is pretty good. And then there'll still be some who jump, even if they shouldn't, because, you know, like their family really needs the money and their chance of, of doing something is very much predicated on them somehow making the NFL and they got to get to somewhere where they can get some playing time. And it's hard, you know, hard for me to begrudge him doing that, but I think we'll see a general decrease. Give it three, four years, let this COVID, let, let all the COVID numbers wash through the 85. And I bet you will have fewer players in, in the portal in the future. It's going to take a little bit. Are there other options that schools can put together? Um, and I, but I really do appreciate all of the like light that you shed on roster management, scholarship counts, things like this. Win a player who was scholarship and is going to be a walk on to save face. Are there other financial ways that the school can like 
get them scholarships? Like, are there other, uh, and not necessarily the like old rights like, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily the track. Oh, we're going to give you a track scholarship, but you're really here sure. for football, but yeah, more along the lines of like grants and, and aid in ways that if a family, like if a player is in the transfer portal, cause the family needs the money, but they want to, the best way to make it to the NFL is to still be at a pretty good school. And you do want to go that walk on route. Like can a school be able to offer some sort of assistance to that, that player? Not officially, but like I think through the academic side, potentially you could, you can get some grants. There, there's some things they can do to where you're not necessarily footing the entire bill. Uh, but I mean, I have had a lot of coaches tell me, I can't believe this kid just jumped in the portal. Like kind of glad he's gone, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I can, I can recruit over him. I, I can use that spot to recruit rather, but like I'm going to be shocked if any other school actually gives him a scholarship. You know, he's just not a, not a D1 quality player after, after these couple of years. Uh, it's unfortunate. Or do you want to do one more or do you want to do the high variance teams? Or you want to save that for another show? I think we can save that for another show. Like that, that's a really good episode or well, that could be like a, like a 20 minute segment. Okay. Let's, let's do, let's just pick one answer for this last one. All right. Uh, I do apologize because I don't know how to ask this without being snarky, but I don't mean it to be. So here you go. Bud has now said on about three occasions that West Virginia can't win the Big 12, the national title, et cetera, even with Saban. And this isn't the only team he has said that about that is probably a top 25 team. My question is, which does he think can win a national title or Big 12 title that haven't yet? Texas hasn't been good since 2009 and wouldn't have made the playoffs even with the 12-team format going back to 2014. So who actually can that hasn't? I apologize for the snarkiness, but I'm curious which programs should give up false hope. Winky emoji. Love the pod. Follow Fernelli for betting tips, even soccer, which I know nothing about. All right. So so the first part of this question is, I guess, which teams can win the Big 12, like in theory, if they had save in coaching? And then the second part is national title. I think there's a big difference there. I think that the, I think what he is seeing is like, if, if there's this uh, barrier for schools to get through, to be able to, you know, whether it's the talent, the coaching, you know, everything moving in the right direction, who can get in that group that has not already, is it a closed door? Is this membership shut? Is everybody that has won a national title recently is pretty much going to be everybody who's going to. And I think when he included Big 12, he was probably also looking at Oklahoma as, you know, another part of that. Someone who clearly has been in the college football playoff, is banging on the door. Maybe maybe it is like college football playoff teams and not necessarily Michigan State or Washington, but the ones who've entered with a real chance to win. Like, have we already seen everybody who can do that maybe in the near to immediate future, let's throw out the programs that maybe are like two to three recruiting classes away. Well, I, I think, uh, I think I would say like a team, like a Penn state could easily Florida you know, win, a, win a national title. Florida could do it. That's yeah, what I was like, thinking. I, I, yeah. There's no doubt. Like, like you, you put together a couple of decent classes in a row and, and you hit, you hit right on quarterback. It, it can happen. It doesn't mean you're going to go on a Bama type run where you're playing for it every single year and winning it, you know, three out of four, but to, to think the lightning doesn't strike in, in this sport would be wrong. It just, you know, it doesn't strike for everybody. I don't think Nick Saban could get enough talent to West Virginia to win a national title. West Virginia, by the way, I'm going to disagree with the premise of the question. They are not a top 25 program. Once they had to start competing against the big 12 competition. They were consistently better than top 25 because poll voters basically vote on wins and they played a very watered down schedule in the old Big East, especially once Miami had, had gone and, and you know, like you're basically playing Louisville and a couple other slappies like they they were not like they're not that that type of program. They can't get that amount of talent there. You could put the you could put Urban as OC and, and Kirby as DC and let Nick be the, be the head coach. They still can't get enough talent to do that. I really don't believe so. You have to have a lot of talent to survive these Power Five conference schedules and play at that level every week. In the old Big East, you didn't. You could you could not you could not lose games when you played your D game, you know, or your C game. And if you lost a guy to injury, all right, you'd still pretty much roll, you know. And even then, they, they never went undefeated. But um, like other, I guess I'm kind of lost at the question here a little bit. It was an interesting question. I know. I think West Virginia probably could win the Big 12 with Saban. I just don't think it could win a national title. And it would also involve some other teams in the league you know, likely being down, I guess. Don't you think the Big 12 
Yeah, maybe the Pac-12 here too, but the Big 12, because of the teams that have risen to the top at different times, like Baylor, who's in – granted, that was a you know, horrible circumstance with why they're down now, but Matt Rule got them back pretty quick. Don't you think we've seen turnover in the Big 12 maybe more? And I don't know if it's parity or it's – in Oklahoma, clearly, like it's, it's parity right under Oklahoma – like all it takes is an upset of Oklahoma to maybe see one of these teams that feels like they're on the cusp of getting there. Like in Iowa state, like I totally get why they're excited about it, but I also think that would give hope to West Virginia to TCU. Who's been there too. Like they were, they were in the co-national championship with uh, Baylor. They were right there in the discussion. Like I could see the big 12 almost more than most conferences having the most fan bases with, hey, why not us? I would agree with that, Danny, uh, because there's really only two teams who we think of in our mind as you know should be contenders. And when one of them is down, that automatically opens the door for somebody else to at least make the title game, right? Uh, it, in some ways, it reminds me a little bit of you know, the ACC that Chip and I grew up blogging about. Right, where it's like, oh, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Georgia Tech for the uh, for, for the ACC. But in the back of my mind, we're like, wait a second, like, yeah, they're going to go to the Orange Bowl, but get beat. Yeah, like that's because Clemson and FSU and Miami aren't playing to their peak efficiency. That's the reason those other teams are rising up. That, that that's not necessarily repeatable skill. Like, I think of some teams as sort of control your own destiny teams, and some teams of like. Control your own destiny. You're still hitting your head on the ceiling unless somebody else really, really falters, you know. And to me, West Virginia is not a team to where if it or Baylor or TCU to where if they do everything right, there's no obstacles in their way. You know, if Georgia does everything right, there's nobody it shouldn't be able to beat. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I didn't want to go totally ACC homer on this one, bud, but I did just pull up the ACC championship game history because from 2006 to 2012, there was only one top five team in the ACC championship game, and that was number five Virginia Tech losing to number 21 Clemson in 2011. It was... It was that kind of Pac-12 feel there for a minute, mm-hmm. you know, where you get excited about the, oh, it's you never know what's going to happen. The Virginia Tech-Georgia Tech game, that'll decide the Coastal. But, you know, in the back of your mind, you know that when it comes to the end of the season and, and winning the games against the best teams in college football, that was a spot where they needed to level up just a little bit, which Florida State and then Clemson obviously helped usher in uh, a new era for ACC football after that. Exactly. Uh, look, West Virginia... They took the check. You know what comes with the check? A real schedule and an inability to, to, to make DCS Bowl. But they took the money and they needed it. Same thing with Maryland. Yep. He is Bud Elliott. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. shining light Sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 U2 they represent a personification of our resistance the Hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva Sarajevo kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply